Welcome to the QAV podcast. If you're brand new, I just want to introduce the podcast a little bit so you know what you're getting yourself into. If you've listened to the show before, feel free to just fast forward a minute or two. If you're brand new, here's the deal. Uh, my name's Cameron Riley. Tony Kynaston is an old friend of mine. He's a very successful share market investor. I'm talking very, very, very successful. He's been doing it 30 years. He's one of the best in the country in terms of a private investor. Very good uh, track record over 30 years. And what this podcast is about is Tony basically teaches me everything that he knows about investing in the stock market. And you get to listen. But if you're coming into this for the first time, you'll find that this episode, the current episodes, assume a certain level of prior knowledge. We assume that you know what we're talking about, his system, his methodology, which we explain in earlier episodes. So feel free to listen if you want to get the vibe for what's going on, but some of it's not going to make much sense unless you understand what the checklist is, etc. I recommend if you're brand new, you go back and listen to uh, Season 3, Episode 1, Episode 3 and Episode 5, where we go into Tony's background and his system and his methodology in a lot more detail. And then feel free to listen to the contemporary episodes, the current episodes, you'll understand more of the context of what we're talking about. With that, let's get into today's show. Hello. Buongiorno. <laughs> Come va? Come stai? Yeah, sto bene, e tu? Yeah, yeah, perfecto. Welcome back to QAV, episode 407, season 4, episode 7, TK, recorded Monday the 15th of February 2021. Happy Valentine's Day. <laughs> you saying that to me or to our listeners? To you. Oh, well, you, thank you. Will you, be, will you be my Valentine? Chrissy and I don't do Valentine's Day. No, we uh, don't We say... Er, we say every day is Valentine's Day in our house, but you and I, I thought I would ask you to be my Valentine. <laughs> well, thank you. I'm touched. It hasn't happened from a guy before, but that's great. <laughs> First time for everything. First time for uh, everything, yeah. Yeah, it didn't happen in Vegas when we were there. You and Markham were sharing a room, I thought, in Vegas. <laughs> no, we had, we had separate rooms. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's a good thing. Um, what's uh, your week been like, Tony? What have you been up to since we last spoke? Yeah, same old, same old. Playing golf, watching horses race. Um, that's about it, really. Nothing special. A couple of nice dinners. Yeah. All the same. Oh. Same old, same old. Yeah. You? I saw you went to Stradbroke Island. We did, yes. Lovely. Uh, we, we <laughs> yeah, it is lovely. It's a bit of a journey getting there for a day yeah. trip. Get there yeah. and back. And, uh, so I'm never doing that again. <laughs> the, day, the day trip to Stratius, 12 years, it's crazy. When Chrissy first came here to visit 12 years ago, I took her to Stratius, the first time we've been back, just because the whole ordeal to get out there, I'm like, oh, God, you get to dry, you get to park, you get to get on a ferry, then you get there and you got to get on a bus and you got to go to the other side of the island. It's lovely, though, but um, yeah, I think next time we do it, we'll spend a few days there and get a house or something. Yeah. Alan Kohler was uh, reported in the Financial Review uh, last week, uh, they were talking about the uh, Kohler effect. Uh, apparently, whenever Alan Kohler <laughs> interviews a CEO of a company, their share price goes up. We should send him how QAV buy list, shouldn't we? <laughs> Interview these. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, just the ones in our portfolio, not the whole. We don't want him to interview the ones in the buy list. Oh, then okay. the price the will dummy. go up too high and their score yeah, will right. go down, right? Yeah. yeah. The dummy portfolio, okay. 
Yeah. So um, um, on January 23rd, he told subscribers to his Eureka report that he'd gone back over the summer and charted the share prices of the 125 companies whose CEOs he'd interviewed in 2020. Uh, on January 21st, which for some was a year later, the average share price lift was 37%. For comparison, mm. the S&P ASX Small Ordinaries Index, most but not all of Kohler's interviews with small caps, is up 7.1% per year, uh, year on year. Seven, sorry, 7.1% 7, 7. year on year. So I'm wondering if we should add Alan Kohler's done an interview with them into the checklist. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a bad idea, but I don't think he's done interviews with any of the companies that we follow. I, I, mm. I saw the article in the, in the Eureka report. And I thought, okay, we should put together a challenger portfolio, but there's like 120 stocks. He interviews three or four people a week mm. on his show. And plus all of them are really, really small, so right. it'd be hard to buy any of their shares. Right. Yeah. Well, the, the fallback strategy then is we just put pressure on him to interview the ones that we've added to our portfolio. Yeah, that's right. We that's should send him a one. list. Yeah. We should pin 50 bucks to it. <laughs> Take a look at these guys, Alan, will you? <laughs> hey, question on the dummy portfolio. Is that available to anyone to look at or is it only for subscribers? Only for subscribers. Okay. Um, Stephen Mab sent us an interesting link. I like this one during the week. This was from uh, Marcus Padley up on Livewire. Uh, <laughs> Broker speak. Um the things that brokers say and what they really mean are like this. Um, research speak, buy, means it's a large listed stock that could possibly hand us a corporate deal one day and we dare not risk pissing them off. <laughs> Hold, it's a sell, but we're not about to ruin years of relationship building between the analyst, the company, and the corporate department by saying sell. <laughs> sell means they went with another broker. <laughs> <laughs> Conviction sell. They strung us along on that corporate pitch for weeks, then did the deal through UBS instead, and we are really, really shitty about it. <laughs> and it goes on. Um, we are moving from buy to hold. That means sell. We are moving from hold to underperform. That means sell. Underweight, sell. Um, and then more broker speak. Hi, we haven't spoken in ages. Means damn, I hit an old speed dial number. <laughs> Uh, I've got a, a few lot to add them. to that list too. Oh yeah, what's that? What are yeah. those? When when the chairman comes out and says, "We fully stand behind our CEO." Yeah, yeah translated yeah. as your toast. <laughs> yeah, he'll be gone within the week. Yeah, it's kind of like yeah. when a prime minister comes out and says, "We fully stand behind our minister" when they've been caught in some sort of uh, <laughs> embarrassing scandal, right? Yeah. Or when the uh, the uh, manager of a, a an LIC comes out and says. We, uh, we like issuing options in our LICs because being bigger brings us better deals. <laughs> what they you translate that to is, and we get a bigger mandate, bigger uh, fee income from a larger base too. Ah, uh, right. Yeah. And my favourite, uh, when the CEO starts selling stock, which that, that came up last week as well. I was talking to someone and they said, what do you think of this company? It's, I said, it's a growth company and I don't like them. And he goes, why not? And I said, well, it's basically a roll-up, so they're just going out and acquiring other companies using their highly inflated PE ratio and their, their elevated share price. Oh, well, I'm going to tell that to the CEO. I'm having lunch with him next week. <laughs> 
okay, well, what are you doing now? And ask them why they sold their shares last year. Because <laughs> the standard one is like the CEO, the, the, they come out when the CEO sells shares and they say things like, the CEO needs to sell for, insert reason here, one, personal reasons, mm-hmm. which means they bought a beach house. Mm. They need to sell for tax reasons, which means they've got a shitload of options and basically I think the share price is never going to be any better, so they're selling. They, they, my two favourites, the CEO needs to sell f- to diversify their portfolio. Well, if you don't think the company's worth buying, <laughs> do why the we? That's and like the CEO, <laughs> it's like saying I'm having a bunch of affairs with different women because I just need to diversify my marriage a little bit. Yeah, really. exactly. Yeah, or well, the CEO needs to sell to improve liquidity in the stock. <laughs> Really, like he—he's a—he's a beneficiary of the of the index funds. They're going to buy the stock. Come on, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. nice. Yeah, Back to the rubbish. Marcus Padley list. The one that, uh, of course, I like the most is I am a value investor. Means I know nothing about timing the market. Well, it's probably true. Who does though? Really? <laughs> <laughs> In our newsletter today, uh, I. I put a quote. Let me see if I can uh, find this. Uh, I put some quotes from Waldron's book. Mm-hmm. Um, and Waldron's book, I can't recall what that was called, something like uh, Building build, Wealth build from wealth Common with Stocks. Common Stocks, yes. Yeah. We're in the process of lining up an interview for him to come on. Um, this is him uh, talking about... Uh, people who try to time the market and play trends. He says, from purely an investment standpoint, there are just a few market timers in each event who got in with a lucky twist of fate or the rare intuitive sense of market conditions, profited and got out. Those are the ones who dominate the financial news feeds and sponsored content, giving a false appearance of the bullishness or bearishness in the market fad among the masses of well-intentioned investors. The sobering truth reminds us the money-making headliners represent a tiny percentage of the active participants. Too many players in the fad lose money, and echoing the typical casino gambler, share only the rare winning bets. Just Mm. another reminder that market fads make money for a lucky few at the zero-sum expense of the silent investor majority that loses out from the desperate hope to make a lifetime of capital gains in a single market cycle. (laughs) The list of household names who made fortunes beating the market by owning investments with utility over extended periods is lengthy. Yet I am unable to name a celebrity investor off the top of my head who adds wealth year in and out on fast money market timing fads. Price is what you pay, value is what you get. I thought that was a nice yeah, little quote. Good point. And that's a, that's a warning lesson to all the people who are jumping into the growth stocks now, thinking they can jump out when the market turns. Yeah, look, it's it's very enticing. I get it. And it's the same thing with Bitcoin or GME yep. or any of these yeah. sorts of things. Like I'm sure everybody thinks, well, I'll just get in and I'll write it up and I'll get out when it starts to go backwards. But as you've pointed out on a number of occasions, well, how far backwards does it go before you get out? How do you know when to sell? Mm-hmm. And because uh, nothing goes in a straight line, everything goes up and fits and starts. It goes up, comes back, goes up, comes back. How do you know when the right time to get out is, uh, and how do you you know do it before everyone else decides it's the right time to mm. get out? And so I'm not sure what the answer to that is. 
There, well, the answer is in that quote that you can't do it. Some people will do it, a small number will do it, and they'll trumpet it, and people will use hindsight bias to justify that it can be done, but it can't. Yeah. It's survivor yeah. bias, right? Survivor bias, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. When yeah. you look at the ones that <laughs> make a million bucks out of it, we go, oh, look at that. They can do it, I can do it. Well, Ex- Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, do, and those ones that few. do it, do they do it time after time after time? Do they have no. a track record of doing that over 10, 20 years with those sorts of uh, plays or is it, you know, they win one, lose nine? Yeah, exactly. That's a good way. That's a good analogy. It's like the the PE companies who will um, have a big portfolio on the basis that two will win and two will two will tank and the rest will go sideways. So yeah, these people are doing the same thing. They're just doing it over market cycles. Yeah. So they'll have a couple of wins, a couple of losses, and the rest will go sideways. Mm. It'll take them a whole lifetime to realise that. <laughs> yeah. And, and the ones that are influential and have a brand or have access to journalists, you know, are able to get in, pump it up, and then they know when to get out because they're playing a pump and dump game. Correct. Yeah. And it's interesting you mentioned GME. That's just the whole that, – that whole thing is a microcosm, isn't it, really? It was beat up by <laughs> by people rushing into, you know, the latest fad and then people got burnt. Someone probably sold out at the top. Yeah. but uh, And we'll hear about their story eventually, how they, you know, set up, set up their life by trading GME stock through Reddit. But um, I'd say 90, 99% of the people who bought GME stock are probably ruining it now. Yeah, my mate Chris, um, the ex-Uber guy, was on Facebook the other day saying, be honest, how many of you heard me tell you to buy Bitcoin over the last five years and ignored me? And I was like, me, and I'm still ignoring you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of worrying when there's like all these late-to-market people are coming into it now. All the, all the, you know, the fund managers are saying, okay, we've got to have a bit of Bitcoin. Let's throw it in. in. If, it, if we lose that money, who cares? If we win, we'll look like we were prescient. But, yeah, they know it's a game. Chris also posted a photo of himself with his new black Lamborghini. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, look, good luck to him. I'm, I'm, glad, yeah. that, I'm glad that he's yeah. done well out of this, that or the other. But uh, still, you know, yeah. it's, it's, it's a it's, – Speculation, it's gambling, and that's okay if you want to. If you want to gamble, gamble. Absolutely. If you want, if you want to be gamble a gambler, go week. gamble. Yeah, I gamble every week. Yep. Yes, you do, but not with your real money. Not with the real money, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. What else? Yeah. Uh, Hundred billion ETFs. I don't know if you saw this article. I, I uh, threw it in the newsletter. I think uh, you know, I whacked it in the notes. Did you see this one? No. Um, uh, it's an article that hit uh, live, uh, not live wire, first links today uh, by Graham Hand. Uh, any day soon, perhaps now, the Australian exchange traded fund sector will exceed 100 billion. It's a remarkable rise. It started 2020 at 62 billion, giving an increase of over 50% in a year. In the last decade, ETFs have moved from marginal usage by specialist advisors into mainstream investments with 215 products listed on the ASX and another 11 ETFs and QMFs on the CHI-X. Um, and then he goes on to say, well, what's driving what, What's driving the popularity of ETFs? Uh, point one, he says, usually very low management fees. 
talks about beta shares. Australia 200 ETF has a management fee of 0.07% a year. Vanguard's US total market shares ETF, 0.03% a year. But I like the second point. Uh, no, sorry. Second point is desire for international investments. Uh, 0.3 rise of thematic funds people are getting into. But at some point here, where, where is Oh, yeah, this is in the first point. He says, in addition, there is strong evidence that most active managers fail to outperform the index after fees over time. S&P's Spiver Australia scorecard reports on the performance of active funds against their respective benchmarks over different time periods, evaluating over 900 equity funds in large, mid and small cap categories, as well as 463 international equity funds. Although some dispute the analysis, the latest report shows, wait for it, 92% of global equity managers are outperformed by the index over 10 years and 82% of Australian equity funds. That's a good wow. gig. That's a good gig. <laughs> these, what, do you reckon, what do you reckon these fund managers are making? Taking home a year, 400 grand, 500 grand? Yeah, that's, a, that's to outperform average. the index? Yep, but they don't. <laughs> yeah. It's an indictment, isn't it, in the industry? I mean, what I, I know we've talked about this before, but every time that number hits me, I'm like, why do these people have jobs? Who's mm. why? Why do they keep getting paid? Like yep. seriously, what? How does that work? What kind of a racket is that? Yep. Well, it's driven by superannuation too, isn't it? In Australia, it's is so much money sloshing around that they got to put it somewhere. Well, they just put it all into ETFs and go. Thank you very much. Good night. That's what's go that's what's hap- that's what's happening. That's what's happening. Yeah. That's what's happening. Yeah. We'll just go yeah, fishing definitely. for the rest of the year. Play golf. We're done. Thank you. Yeah. We don't, and then we put ourselves out of a job. And, and all I'd say to the people who are doing that, which I think is a valid strategy, is is again, it's a long term investment because I think I think there is somewhat of a risk in all these index ETFs in particular, but I guess all ETFs is that next time we have a market downturn, um, people will start withdrawing their money, and that just becomes a uh, you know, a reinforcement, a negative reinforcement um, ring where the ETF has to sell BHP shares to pay out the person who wants to sell the ETF shares, which drives BHP down, which means the market drops even further, which means more people want to redeem. So there is there is some there is some risk in this rise of index ETFs. If you have if you have more and more people in the index, then they've got to stay in the index even when it goes down because they will amplify the the downturns in the market if they're not careful which will yeah, hurt them right. even more yeah 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 well my last but no, I think story it's a good thing it's the, it's the first it's the first step on the investment ladder by the index yeah yeah, yeah. no my main thing was just 82% of active fund managers in australia <laughs> underperformed the index over 10 years like um, what uh, so, that just <laughs> so next time you open a live wire email just just go one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Okay, cross those off. <laughs> we'll have a look at this guy and this guy, and that's it. <laughs> well, like in what other profession? It's like saying eighty-two percent of doctors uh, misdiagnose <laughs> stuff and people die on the like eighty eighty-two percent mm. of operations people die. Mm. Uh, you'd be like, oh, well, something's wrong. What's going on? What? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, can't get away with that. Well, um, speaking of live wire, my last news story for the day, you'll like this one. Our old friend Rudy, Rudy mm-hmm. Philip Peck Van Dyke, mm-hmm. uh, was in live wire today saying value stocks are back. 
Um, I got a nice laugh out of this. As it's an interview that James Marley from Livewire did with our old friend Rudy from FN Arena. Um, and I, there's a quote here from Rudy uh, saying that, uh, well, he was previously quoted as saying in their last interview with him last year that uh, value investors were frustrated. And I. <laughs> Uh, but it's back now because reporting numbers are good and value investors are back. And I, I jumped on and I said, guys, value investors are doing just fine in 2020. <laughs> FMG was up 200%. BFG is up 100%. CXC6C is up 100% in the last few months alone. Like uh, value investors are doing fine. I don't know what the hell you're talking about or who, what you're looking at or who you're talking about. Well, it's um, it's uh, look, it's got to do with the indexes. There is a value index and there's a growth index. And my understanding is all they do is they take all the companies in the stock market and rank them by their PE, and the sort of top decile becomes the growth index, and the bottom decile becomes the value index. So it's a very you know, it's a very simple sort of calculation. Yeah, but um, he's not talking about indexes. Here's the quote. As recently as last August, Rudy told me that frustrated value investors should expect to remain just that for the foreseeable future. Yeah. If they're doing value investing and they're not making money, they're not doing it very well. There must be in those 82% of fund managers who don't beat the index. Well, do you remember when, is- we had, when we had Rudy on the show, we asked him what his portfolio returns were over mm. five years. Do you remember what it was? Uh, it was slightly less than the market. Yeah, I think so. It was about 8%, I think, yeah, that's on right. average. <laughs> yeah. I know, I know who should be frustrated. <laughs> anyway, good luck to Rudy. Nice guy. A lot of fun. Big talker. Long talker. Um, don't get him started on CSL. Oh, my God. Never hear the end of it. Um, here's uh, an email uh, following on from something we did. Uh, we talked about last week. This is from Dave. Hi, Dave. Dave says, hi, Cameron and Tony. Just a quick note on your topic of Roger Montgomery's method of evaluating whether the market is overvalued. Warren Buffett also has a method of ascertaining whether the market is overvalued. He gave a speech in 1999 during the dot-com bubble. Hold on a second. Yes, Fox. What can I do for you, Fox? Give me YouTube time now. Yes, Fox. I will give you YouTube time. You're not supposed to come in. <laughs> hi, Fox. Tony says hi. Oh, you've got your earphones in. Hi. Yeah. Okay, hold on. Is Fox watching Thunder, Thunderbirds or Captain Scarlet or any of those good old shows? No, he'll be watching uh, animated Minecraft shows about uh, Minecraft. Mm. Okay. Or uh, animated Mr. Bean. That's his favourite show at the moment. Oh, lovely. Okay, I love Mr. Bean. Let me continue with Dave's email. He gave a speech in 1999 during the dot-com bubble and reprised it in 2001 after the pullback. They were two of the very few times Buffett commented directly on the level of the market, and to me, they are the most interesting speeches ever given on market values generally. Briefly, Buffett's method was this. Take the value of the entire universe of US stocks and divide it by the US gross national product, GNP. By that measure, US stock values peaked in March 2000 at 190%. By 2001, it had dropped to 130% of GNP. Buffett said that if the ratio approaches 200%, as it did in 1999 and a part of 2000, you're playing with fire. I note that the US market is currently at 194% and they have fire heating up. Even in the depths of COVID panic at the end of March 2020, the US level had only dropped to 120%. 
The Australian market is currently only at 113% and dropped to around 80% at the end of last March. As a closer, Buffett also said that if the percentage falls to the 70-80% to area, buying stocks is likely to work very well for you. Now, I know you've talked about this uh, Buffett metric in the past. Um, Is this time it's different, Tony, because of zero interest rates, or do you think these are good numbers to pay attention to? Oh, I think generally they're good numbers to pay attention to. And I mean, it worked in March, didn't it, when our share market dropped into that 70 or 80% buying range and things have rebounded really strongly since there. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't think this time is different. But whether whether the US market, as we said last week, is at the top or not, who knows? I think it's toppy. But um, last time around when I thought it was toppy in 2000, it still had another 140% to go. So... Yeah, it's like, like like I said, you can't call the top, but he's, he, Buffett's right. Be careful. I'm always reminded of the start of the Hill Street Blues when they have their morning meeting before they go out and patrol, and the last thing the sergeant says is, be careful out there. That's, that's <laughs> yeah. you know, it applies to us, especially in this kind of market. Be careful out there. Yeah. Well, mm. but then again, you also say always be invested. and um, Exactly. We, we don't try and forecast and doesn't really matter nope. to a QAV investor what stage of the cycle the market's at, apart from the fact mm-hmm. that sometimes there are more buying opportunities than there are at other times, but we just uh, play it day by day, watch the numbers and follow the rules. Correct, as we did during the COVID cycle. Hmm. You know, that, that, I mean, it was good to go through. It was bad to go through, I guess, for a lot of reasons, but it was good to go through from a learning point of view. But we sold off what sixty percent and then bought back in quickly because the mm. you know the signs told us to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, my forecasts were all completely wrong, so there's no point asking me what the market's going to do. Yeah, I'm just going to stay invested and follow the system. Yeah. Speaking yeah. of your forecasts, I think about this every time I fill up <laughs> petrol. Yeah. Remember at the beginning of COVID, we were talking about. I think you'd heard from some one of your contacts Joe, at Joe Shell. Barbaris. Yeah. Oh, it was Joe. Yeah. That they were going to start, you know, doing pay at the pay at the pump. Yep. Yeah. It still pisses me off that I can't pay at the pump. <laughs> Why the hell do I need to walk? I do have yep. that. Do have apps now, but you need to. <laughs> don't yeah. use your phone. But then they have to pull out your phone to pay. Download yep. their app, and you can pay. I always forget to do that, though. I have to walk all the way in, stand in the little line. They try and sell me a <laughs> chocolate bar or some yep. bullshit donut. Yep. You know. It's very, very profitable for service stations to do that. Yeah. The other interesting thing that Joe was telling me, though, was, um, I mean, the, the whole rise of the convenience store was because there was no margin in fuel. Back when yeah. I was working at Shell, fuel margins in the city were down to, like, two cents a litre, which was nothing. Yeah. Um, but now, now there's, there's, I guess there's been a bit of a shakeout. The ref, a lot of the refineries are closing, so the uh, fuel is being imported. Uh, the supermarkets are running the, the the big chains. I think BP is only the big chain left that runs itself, uh, and the fuel margins are back up to like ten, twenty cents a litre in the city. So uh, I don't know if that means that they'll rely less on the convenience store uh, income, but yeah, it's a different market now than what it was back then. Interesting. It's gravy. It's gravy, isn't it? Yeah. When that happens. Yeah. Yeah. Bonus bonuses for the execs. New yachts, new beach houses. <laughs> exactly. Hmm. All right. Let's move on to uh, your journal entries. We've had, uh, I think, three journal entries in the last week, including one this morning. Mm-hmm. Lot, lot going on. 
Um, in particular, before we get into your stock of the week, I wanted to talk about the Chris Corrigan Hawthorne Resources situation. Uh, this popped up during our Zoom call, and uh, thanks to everyone who jumped on our Zoom call last week. It was huge. The room was packed. I think we had 27, 28 people on the call at some point. Um very, very busy. A lot of people asking questions and they were from all over the place and new and old subscribers. Uh, it was great. Uh, but somebody did point out during that that um, Chris Corrigan, is a major shareholder of Hawthorne, had resigned from the board uh, and wanted to know your views on it. And you came back and said, yeah, didn't worry you too much. Well, talk to us about that. Yeah, well, I think what I said was I didn't know much about it and I haven't been able to find out much about it. But, uh, yeah, I mean, um, Chris Corrigan, I, I don't think you count as a founder, even though we probably scored it in the QAB checklist as a founder-owner. Uh, I think there's another person on the board who probably um, has a large holding to I'll just check that. Anyway, Chris Corrigan isn't a minor. Uh, yeah, another guy called um, Mr Lee, L-I, it's still got 36% shareholding. Chris Corrigan, if it's the Chris Corrigan I'm thinking of, is known for the um, Waterside docks disputes back in uh, John Howard's days. So he's been an investor since then. Uh, yeah, look, there's been a total absence of news around this, which I find really strange. They should be, they should really have by now given some kind of commentary to the market about what happened. Um, I suspect that there's a falling out between a director and management around where the company's going. There's been short-term, uh, you know, price depression because of it. So it's obviously a significant event, but um, we haven't reached our three-point sell lines, which are quite low for, for Hawthorne Resources. So, yeah, I, I'm, it's in our dummy portfolio and I'm keeping it there until we either breach or we get some more information to, to go on. But, uh, yeah, at, at the moment we're operating in a vacuum. Yeah. I think it is the same Chris Corrigan. Okay. I did a little bit of research on it. Uh, on their website, Hawthorne, it says he was chairman of Cube Holdings Group. Yep, which I that's think, the one. Uh, Patrick's Corporation, Chris Corrigan, ended up also being involved in, yeah. Yeah, correct. Uh, and I did read something um, on one of the sites. It might have been Hot Copper or one of those kind of sites as I was trying to search for information, saying that he had somehow been granted a lot of those shares. So they were seeming to imply that um, he'd bought shares in the company and it paid a special dividend soon afterwards, which was um, went a long way to, you know, topping him up for what he paid to get into the company. So I'm not I'm not sure if that's true or not. I don't know much about the company. Uh, but, uh, you know, he, he um, he's picked up on his, his stumps and gone home for some reason. Well, I note that his departure did nothing at all to the share price. It didn't, didn't flinch. Didn't go up, didn't go down, still at around $0.09 cents where it's been for quite a while. So, um, yeah, unfortunately, because yeah. it's down 33% since from when we bought it. <laughs> but as you've pointed out in the past, when you look at the dividends that it's returned in that period of time, I think right. it's a little bit underwater, but nowhere near 33%, maybe a couple of points, but no yeah, right. worth worrying about. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of surprised, though, that there hasn't been an announcement from the company over it and that the ASX hasn't said, hey, what's going on here? Yeah, right. I would have thought it was material in that respect, but uh, no, it's just a two-page letter saying that he's resigned. That's it. Right. 
Mm. Okay. There you go. But look, as I said at the Zoom call, if you're worried about it, if you think it's a significant event and, you know, you're a shareholder and you feel more comfortable selling them, then, you know, go ahead and sell. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, um, as, as we said, there's been special dividends paid out. So hopefully you're not too far underwater and you, you can get out if you're uncomfortable. But um, at this stage, I'm going to at least keep it in our dummy portfolio. I don't own shares in this company at all. Right. Well, that's the end of the free episode for this week. For the brand new folks, I want you to know that each week we have a free episode and a premium episode. Free episode runs about half an hour. Premium episode usually runs for an extra half hour to an hour, depending on how many questions we have from our audience that week, because we spend a lot of that time answering questions. Uh, If you want to check out the premium episodes, you can go up to our website, qavpodcast.com.au and sign up for the two-week free trial. You get to have a look at the uh, premium episodes. You get to have a look at the checklist, the getting started guide, all of the video content that we have. Uh, You get invited to our VIP dinners and our VIP Zoom calls for club members. You get to ask Tony questions that we can answer. You get to get invited to our uh, Facebook group, our private Facebook group, etc., etc. And also we get a, a... private uh, club member newsletter each week we send out as well with some stuff in it so check that out qavpodcast.com.au but as i said if you're brand new and you want to you're trying to figure out what's going on go back and listen to season three episodes one three and five 301 303 and 305 and then you might also want to go back and listen to season one as well all of the free episodes in season one where we go into a lot of detail about tony's system and methodology and figure out if this is right for you, if it's something that you want to go further with, if you want to learn how to invest like Tony does, then you can check out the uh, QAV Club. Uh, the other thing I always have to say is we're not financial advisors, so don't take anything you hear on this as financial advice. This is just here to teach how one guy invests and thinks about investing. If you need financial advice or tax advice, please go see a financial advisor or a tax advisor. Uh, With that, stay safe, good luck with your investing, and we'll be back next week.